0: Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Fencing Podcast. I'm Gavin. And I'm Sean. And we've got quite a lot to get through. Uh, so let's start off with uh, our thank yous rather than our normal run straight into the results. So yeah. uh, big shout out to our, uh, our Patreons. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Our supporters on Patreon absolutely invaluable and we we love you dearly. Mm-hmm. If you're not one of our supporters on Patreon yet, now's your chance. Uh, if you like what we do and think it's worth paying tiny little bit of money just as little as a dollar a month to help us do more with the podcast we'd really really appreciate that
0: we would really love that uh i would also like to thank our sponsors lee and paul they are fine gentlemen uh, they are fine gentlemen and they also produce the best fencing equipment in the world
1: which Hooray. is not bad going at all
0: indeed and uh, can't wait to hang out with them when we get to the world championships in leipzig uh,
1: yeah it should be good um, yes. actually i'll probably see them before then that brings me on to the, the next thing ah, I was going to talk about. Excitement. We have been shortlisted for an award. Hooray! Three cheers for us. Um, we've been mm. nominated for British Fencing's Innovation
0: Award. Mm. So so who would have thought that uh, two Scottish guys with their twee accents would be considered innovative?
1: Yeah, two, two, two blokes talking about fencing. It's, I mean, it's clearly never been done before. Never, never yeah. been done before. It may be the recording and broadcasting a bit, that, a bit novel. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah. delighted with the nomination. And yeah. uh, clearly if we don't win... I'll be posting photos all over social media of me having that sort of Oscars moment when you've been shortlisted, mm-hmm. but don't win, looking thoroughly disappointed,
0: but trying your best to smile. Exactly. And, yeah. saying, and saying something passively, aggressively bad about the person you did, who did win. That's right. Oh, aren't they worthy winners? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's, that's potentially me this weekend. Mm-hmm. What else is there? To, oh, yes. In the last episode, we talked about the extra Olympic medals.
0: Ah, right. Yes, of course. Uh,
1: and celebrating what great news that was for fencing generally. And it absolutely is. But, uh, and then I thought about it a bit more. One of the, one of the team events that wasn't going to be included in Tokyo was going to be men's foil. Obviously, for Rio, we had a, a pretty strong men's foil squad mm-hmm. who managed to, to qualify for the teams and as a result get three individual places. But when there's no team event, what had been happening was that you would have a maximum of two individual places in the weapon yeah. for the individual event. Now that we're back to three t te- uh, having a full set of medals and a men's four team event, Britain, if it's going to get some of its world-class foilists, Richard Cruz, James Davis, Marcus Metstead, qualified, they're going to need to qualify a team. Otherwise, a maximum one of them will be going.
0: So this this changes the whole dynamic of the, the run-up to the Olympics now?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to see these guys knocking their pan in the team event again. Yeah, Richard Cruz hadn't fenced in the team events this season. Mm-hmm. Kind of understandable. He's you know, with no team event uh, meant to be happening at Tokyo, uh, it didn't make sense for him to kind of fill a space that he's unlikely still to be. Yeah, in, exactly. Yeah. In the the run up to the twenty twenty four Olympics, unless mm-hmm. he really, 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 <laughs> really, does just go on forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that that gave the opportunity for younger fencers to get a run mm-hmm. out in the team, and with it, you know, with the expected drop in team results. Yeah, but now that the teams are in. Going to uh, I think it's really a full strength team yeah. out there trying to qualify because I suspect it will be another race between Britain and Germany and perhaps Poland to claim the, the European zone place. Yeah.
0: And we're looking at a slightly reju- rejuvenated German side.
1: Well, I'm not so sure. Still, the heart of their team is Yopecki.
0: you will not be there for the next one.
1: Uh, well, he'll he'll be on for he'll be on for Tokyo. You think? Yeah, definitely. It's only three years away now. Right. Okay. Still got a spring in the step. Won a World Cup this year. Why not? And the other mainstay of their team being Benjamin Kleibrink
0: Yes, that's true. Yes.
1: Who more or less retired after he won Olympic gold back mm-hmm. in 2008, uh, but right. has been drafted back into the German team oh, okay. I, in the last I, I, when I say year and a half.
0: Yeah, when I say rejuvenated, I mean that in the Frankenstein sense. Oh, <laughs> oh that's very harsh. <laughs>
1: that's very harsh. So anyway, that was just a thought that occurred after, right. our, after our last episode, mm-hmm. that perhaps we we're going to see a much bigger push for the, for the men's foil team. Right. to go out and get some results. So I look forward to seeing that. Yeah,
0: exactly. Another
1: well, excuse to go to Paris. Uh, yeah, well, we always like <laughs> We I'll don't be, really we need do. an excuse to go to Paris, well, true. but we'll definitely be there again next year. Yep. Okay, so our, our interview for, for this time round mm-hmm. is the voice of FIE Fencing Commentary, Mr. Karim Could. Bashir. Okay. We usually have quite a lot to say about commentary, usually relatively complimentary about Karim. Yep. Mm. Not so much, perhaps, with David King. Yep. In fact, not at all. With David King, um, so I phoned Karen up, and here's what we had to say. Karen, welcome to the fencing podcast.
2: Hi, Sean. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I've got to say, first off, I absolutely love the podcast. I've been listening to it very avidly, and I t- can't wait for the next episode.
1: Ah, that's great. That's kind words, I do like that. <laughs> we're always a, we're always a sucker for a bit of praise. So. Most people will know you uh, as the voice of FIE commentary, but I wanted to ask you a bit about your your background in fencing. Uh, How did you start? What have you done? And what's taken you to this point?
2: Well, um, I think I started the way most people do. I started at school. It was an option at school. I was... uh a small child, um, and I wasn't particularly good with a, a ball at my feet, so football wasn't for me. And um, you know, when I started it, I just loved the fact that we could use swords. I, I came through a sort of old school training uh, methodology, loads and loads of footwork, very technical. But I guess I was a bit of a geek and and i loved it i uh, got some early success i won the leon paul junior series under 15 title in 1988 congratulations yes, all the way back then thank you very much and i fenced uh, all age groups for great britain and wales i did four commonwealth games and uh, i suppose my biggest accolade was uh, being part of the team in 1998 that uh, got a silver medal
1: pretty impressive yeah not bad at all so once you once you finally retired from from competing what was what came after that
2: well, I, I, I did a bit of coaching sort of even when I was competing. It was sort of like a reciprocal relationship with uh, with my club where, you know, we coached, the, a lot of the senior fences coached the, the younger kids, gave lessons, ran sessions in exchange for subsidised coaching of our own. Um, and during my, uh, well, at the end of my career, I, I jacked in the job that I had in the city and started up my own company. And in those early days, I needed to earn some some regular money so I I worked as a part-time coach under the brilliant David Taylor at Brentwood School uh, for a number of years and then we started a club called Brentwood Blades which was uh, taken over by Christian Gelsloot a few years ago when I moved down to Devon and I, I guess my sort of you know, I, I was always inspired to coach kids and give them a good foundation in fencing. I never expected to produce an Olympic champion. I was always going to sort of give, hand those kids over to, uh, to you know, a far more qualified coach than me. And the foundation that I got was from uh, uh, another brilliant uh, coach, Tom Waliki, who was also David Taylor's coaching mentor. Yeah. So we made a really good team. It was a really enjoyable few years of coaching at Brentwood.
1: Great, great, and of course you're you're working the media as well. Commentary only only part of it. Uh, t- tell me what else you, you do for for British fencing.
2: Well, I'm the media and communications officer, and it, it, it came about actually through frustration more than anything else. I was really fed up with the fact that fencing just wasn't getting any exposure in this country at all. Uh, and I remember in my younger days, you know, we had even more exposure back then. Uh, than we were getting now and we had the London Olympic Games coming up it was around about 2009 and I started a sports marketing business and part of that business involved media distribution lists and you know sharing sponsorship information with with the press and I just decided to literally log on to the BBC website have a look at I think I had a look at handball or water polo or something an article about that and I took that format and I wrote up the, uh, a report on the two medals we'd just won at the European Championships mm-hmm. uh, in men's foil. And I phoned the then CEO of British Fencing, Piers Martin. I said, look, I've produced this story. Are you happy for me to submit it on behalf of British Fencing to the BBC? And he said, yeah, go for it. And about an hour later, it was the lead story on their sports page. Um, right. And it kind of, I kind of did things voluntarily for about a year and a half and then it, 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 I sort of created a monster, really, because there was there was so much work. I mean, it was there was so much to do. Uh, there was no social media, there was which is nothing. And I found myself spending an inordinate amount of time working for free for British fencing. And I know a lot of people volunteer their time, but I was at the same time trying to run my own business. So I suggested to British fencing they recruited a professional media person. And uh, in fact, I I helped sort of write the job spec. I said, you know, this is what these are the areas that need to be covered. Yeah. Um, And I didn't apply for it. All right. (laughs) Um, um, Because where I was coming from, Sean, was that this was a full time job. It needed to be done full time and by a professional media person. And I certainly, I certainly wasn't that. I was, uh, I was someone who did a bit of media as part of a sort of wider package of services that I provided through my company. And British Fancy called me, one of the board members called me the day before the deadline for submissions and begged me to put in an offer. And I said, look, I can only submit a part-time offer, and that is the best that you're going to get from me. I've run my own business. And I was as surprised as anyone else when I got the job. Um, It gave me an opportunity to marry up my marketing knowledge, my media network, and, of course, my fencing knowledge. And hopefully um, to the benefit of the sport.
1: Yeah, there's, there's been cuts, obviously, to to British fencing's funding announced uh, at the end of last year. Is, is your role affected by that?
2: Yeah, I mean, first off, I think everyone within the sport, within the administration, of the sport has it has affected certainly on the world class side of things. So no world class funding and uh, no world class program, uh, mm. which was you know a disastrous blow just before Christmas. But I helped put together the hashtag fund fencing uh, crowdfunding campaign that ran fairly successfully. We had a very ambitious target of £100,000. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get quite up there, but uh, we did We did raise, uh, I think, between fifteen and £20,000, which yeah. has definitely helped to support the teams for this year's Euros and the upcoming World Championships. Uh, my role has been affected. It, it no longer exists as of the end of June. There will be uh, no media officer role. I'm going to carry on with the sword magazine but there won't be an official media person and i believe that the organization are trying to uh, employ a communications intern who i will also volunteer my time to sort of get them up to speed to what as to what i do uh, and what i have been doing and uh, i i've also said that you know i would help do the uh the press releases for the world championships coming up this year because i'll be there and um you know I, i can be on the ground and fingers crossed, Britain get a medal, so we'll have something to shout about to the yeah. outside world. But yeah, that it's um, because of the funding cut that there is no money for a media officer anymore.
1: That's a great shame. I mean, the quality of communication coming out of uh, British Fencing has improved enormously in, in recent years, certainly, and it's uh, a shame that the lack of money that uh, British Fencing is going to have to work with is, is going to affect that.
2: Um, yeah, it is a shame, and I um, appreciate your kind words. Uh, hopefully some of it's directed towards me. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> So, uh, tell me how your how your commentary career got started.
2: <laughs> Completely by accident. <laughs> um, it, in two thousand and eleven, as you well know, uh, Sheffield was the host city for the European Championships. So, big deal for British fencing to have uh, uh, the Euros in the country, uh, especially the year before the uh, the London. Olympic Games uh, to host a big championships like that give, gave our fences a great opportunity on home soil to sort of experience it. And a professional event management team came in and ran the show and they contracted me for a number of days, a very small number of days in the run up to the championships to basically set up a press office and look after... Uh, the media and there were quite a few there, so they did they did need looking after. And about three weeks or so before the championships, uh, I got a call from the director of this event company, and he said to me, um, "If I gave you three thousand to four thousand pounds to the media department, what would you do with it?" And I said, "Well, that's easy. I'd live stream the whole event, let let everybody see it." Yeah. And he was like, all "Right, okay, I've got to speak to all the other departments, see what they do with it, and I'll, I'll come back to you." And in the end, got the money. Managed to find a company called uh, Horizon 24-7 TV. They're, they're a very good company based near Sheffield. And they came in and did it for a massive discount. I mean, three and a half grand for, what, nine days of, of uh, set up and, and work. It was, yeah, uh, it was a TV, steal. Yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. And then I drove up to Sheffield a few days before the championships. And I got a call on the way up saying, right, we're here. We've set up. Uh, this is the, the, the live streaming company. Mm-hmm. Um, when are you coming for your sound check?
1: <laughs> you suddenly oh, hang on.
2: And I was like, I hadn't even thought about it, to be honest. You know, I really honestly just genuinely hadn't thought about commentary at all.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and I said to them, I've never commentated in my life. I, you know, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, I watched a lot of sport. i didn't know how to sort of open and present. But I mean, fencing is a really complicated sport. It needs, <laughs> needs an expert. Oh, no, it's you. You've got to do it. So I then <laughs> spent the next three days. Trying to cram as much information into my brain as I possibly could, as well as running the press office, and I managed to second a couple of people in to come and help me uh, with the press office. And Sheffield was the debut uh, Bashir commentary stream, and um, (laughs) it was amazing. Actually, I really enjoyed it. It was crikey, I don't want to listen to it again, but um, (laughs) not now. But but I really enjoyed it, and I found it quite. It came quite naturally to me. And I'm not saying that I was particularly good, uh, and certainly I certainly wasn't particularly good. But you know, technically and all that kind of stuff. But I knew the rules, I knew how the sport worked. You know, the same as you. You know, I was I was a fencing, I was a fencer that became a fencing fan. Mm-hmm. And so I had a good time. I really enjoyed it. I just relaxed and thought, well, you know, only two people are going to be listening, so it's all right. As yeah. well, I'll just get on with it. And then to my amazement, a couple of days after the championships finished. Uh, I got a call from the FIE and they asked me if I would like to go to Catania uh, the following month to do the World Championships. And I was like, well, yeah, (laughs) I'd love to. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, off I trotted to Italy and did the first World Championships on my own, which was, uh, I mean, very exciting, but crikey, on your own, really tough to do so many days. And, you know, you just get bored of the sound of your own voice and you're not not interacting with anyone. So it it becomes... um, a little uh, it was a little tricky and so after that championships they they that we had a, a debrief and they said to me what would be the top three things that you would do to improve it and i said second commentator second commentator and second commentator yeah and that uh, that's where it happened. So the Cadet and Junior Worlds followed the following year. Then the BBC contacted me. Do you want to come and do the Olympic Games on the BBC? or something? yes, of course. <laughs> I would love to do that. And it's kind of grown every year since then. We're now covering all the Grand Prix's. And this season, I've done a couple of World Cups. And, you know, it's great fun. And I get paid to watch the sport. I love them. And, and it's a bonus, uh, you know, that, uh, that I, I get that break from day-to-day running of my business but um i certainly won't be ordering a ferrari anytime soon
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) disappointing yeah we're still waiting for our yacht as well here at the podcast so (laughs) uh, it doesn't seem to be working out that well but you know we'll persevere um (laughs) (laughs) so so how do you prepare for an event that you're going to commentate at what sort of research do you do and background information do you gather before you attach yourself to a headphone and a microphone and get ready to to tell us what's happening
2: I'm glad you asked that but back in Sheffield it was three sleepless nights of just checking rankings looking at who the favourites might be and really really basic stuff and I look back and laugh how little prep I did in Sheffield and how long it took me and I think for me London 2012 and working with the BBC was a real turning point because when I saw the level of detail the researchers did there it really opened my eyes and so since then I've sort of conducted my own continued professional development in that respect so I try to improve my knowledge uh, and processes every time so you know the, the research becomes easier and the level I do of what I do now is, is very is you know completely different it's it's miles apart from what I did in 2011 so I think that the main thing that I learned at London 2012 was basically building a building up a compilation of information about every athlete and you can't use it too much during the day, but certainly for final sessions, having that background information is really good. And so by the time we got round to Rio 2016, where I was lucky enough to work for the Olympic Broadcast Service, I had a technical guide for almost every fencer competing at the Games, so star guides and, and then some background information. And uh, this year I I invested some of my own money into some formal commentary training. Which I'm um, I'm in the second phase of the first one, some more about voice projection and enunciation. So, so yeah, so it, it's it's an ongoing process, and I think the other thing about it is that the the research never stops. So, you know, I find myself watching almost every every broadcast of any fencing anywhere in the world at senior and junior level when I get a chance, and certainly I, I watch every every World Cup that's broadcast from quarterfinal stage onwards, and I'm lucky enough to be at six Grand Prix a year, and I watch the other the other three sitting at home.
1: Yeah, I suppose there's always there's always new faces, there's always new bits of information. It's not like once you're uh, you've got your sort of database of background info about all the fences. Actually, as you said, you know, turn your back for a moment yeah. there's some exciting new fence that's emerged out of nowhere. That's suddenly meddling, yeah. and you've got to know about them as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that's 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 interesting is you know when there's these subtle changes in the rules, like. The saber on guard lines, for example, and, and actually, I think that had less impact this season than I think a lot of people thought it would, compared to the blockout time being increased slightly. And so, the, those little changes actually changed the style of the fences. You see very subtle changes in in approaches to fights. I mean, saber is so fast; it's you know, it, it really is subtle. So to have a handle on that as well. But let me ask you a question. You, I listened to your commentary. When you, was it Paris you did
1: one year? Oh, yes. Gav and I's uh, little sort of pre podcast experiment. Yeah, we did a a kind of simultaneous commentary for St. Petersburg. uh, Uh, Petersburg. How how did you
2: you find it?
1: Well, we turned out, it turned out that we were absolutely rubbish at commentary, uh, but we were (laughs) were quite good talking about fencing in general. So it was actually one of our, our friends that said, yeah, maybe not commentary for you guys, but have you thought about doing a podcast? Because we'd, uh, similarly, we'd done a, a decent bit of research and we kind of knew the fences anyway, um, yeah. so we were able to provide a lot of kind of background information. We offered quite a lot of opinion, and of course we were set, beset by technical problems when we were doing it as well, in that things like a uh, computer screen froze, so we ended up having to watch it on an iPad, which was too small to really see what was going on, and actually yeah. being able to pick the actions was quite difficult. So yeah, I, our-
2: I, I enjoyed it, Sean. I, thought, you? It was good. I <laughs> thought it was I thought it was very good. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't there myself, but uh, so I got a chance to to watch it with commentary. It was a rare pleasure,
1: <laughs> right? See, that was one of these little episodes that I was hoping everyone would have forgotten about, and thankfully, it's no longer available for anyone to listen to, which is a <laughs> um, a, a great relief, to be honest. Um, anyway, enough about my um, my failed commentary career. Um, so, well, as I said, said there, we we faced a few a few challenges. Um, so, what do you find the biggest challenges about uh, about doing a live broadcast?
2: Look, I mean the day before live coverage starts is always a busy day. Uh, let's let's put it that way. Uh, you know, organisers are now just starting to get the you know the, what the live streaming technical requirements are. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's you know it's got better every year and now it's in a position. I mean, I know for example in Leipzig that they are ready to go. They've got the commentary position set up in the plans. It's you know it's it's going to be it's going to be easier. This thing is going to be the easiest setup for a World Championships. But we always struggle with stable internet connection. That's, right. Something I as you, you said. I mean, it's it's a nightmare to have you know fixed cable. Uh, we always try and insist on fixed cable. The R engineer, Magic Tristan, yep, uh, he he comes. With more equipment than you could ever possibly imagine, he can carry. But he he does have this extremely long fiber cable specifically to connect directly into the feeding point for the internet. And it just that that sometimes makes things difficult because you know we're testing in the eleventh hour. You're up late the night before you go live, and. So that that's difficult, but you know what? The FIE are really supportive. They really want to make this work. It's still, you know, the the, the the project is still, you know, in its infancy, really. And and we really couldn't do without uh, the support that we get from TISA and Swiss Timing. It's been it's been brilliant. In terms of the broadcast itself, the biggest challenge, and you might have some experience of this from from doing St Petersburg, is. As everybody who is a fencing fan, and I know all the podcast audience will be, there are four fights going on at the same time throughout the day. Sometimes, like in the Budapest Grand Prix, there are eight fights going on because yeah. they double up the coloured pieces. So trying to stay on top of everything, because you have to you have to stay on top of all the results you, live, otherwise we're not providing a live yeah. a live broadcast. And you have to do that at the same time as keeping focused on the fight that you're actually you're talking about uh and like and, you know a couple of times i I, fa- I found myself looking down at the preview screen and realized that i'm actually talking about a fight over the other side of the hall so that, <laughs> that, 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 that that can be a bit of a challenge but saying that the, the challenges that we do face don't don't compare to the you know amazing joy and privilege i have of, of being able to go to so many events and and give my um opinions on what's going on
1: your your voice obviously is is out there and recorded and available for YouTube uh, on YouTube for everybody to to go and listen to with the with the action that you're commentating on. There'll, there'll have been great moments that you've will commentated on, and others that you perhaps look back on and go, ah, "That was that was a disaster or a nightmare." So, so give me your highs and lows of your your commentary career to date. I'll
2: start with the lows because I'd rather finish on a high. Um, <laughs> I think my worst. Moment by far, and please, you know, no one who's listening to this go back and listen to it because it's terrible. Don't worry, um, we'll, we'll put the link
1: in the show notes just to, to help you out <laughs> yeah. in that way.
2: Um, it was at Seoul, the Seoul Grand Prix in 2016. I'd been to Havana and then Budapest the two weekends before Seoul, so I did these, these three Grand Prix on back to back weekends. Uh, so, traveling, I think it's something like a 13 hour time difference between Havana and Seoul. So day is night and night is day. And I got to Seoul completely shattered with jet lag. And the the big mistake I made, which which I'll never make again, was that I arrived at the hotel at about two o'clock, straight straight off the plane into a a transfer and, and I got to the hotel at two. And I sat down on my bed and I thought, right, I mustn't go to sleep because I'll be awake all night if I do that now. Yeah. And I woke up seven hours later. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And I was then, for the whole, for the duration of that competition, I was awake all night, every night, for three nights that I was there. Yeah. And then had to work during the day. And I think now that you've got that background, you do listen to it. I just sounded, I knew I sounded like a zombie, and to try and get elevated for stuff was you know it was a mission but it was a tough (laughs) lesson uh, and I I learned from it and I I definitely won't do it again in terms of best moments ah, this this is a tricky one Sean Uh, am I allowed to give you three yeah go on then okay Euros in Strasbourg uh, in 2014 was really special as we all know James Andrew Davis was he was on fire throughout that tournament and he came up against a a Russian Alexei Cheromisinov in the final who was really I would say Possibly on the day, just edging James, mm-hmm. and um, he was down by quite a bit. I, I think it was maybe even 10 5, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was something I was, I was thinking
1: 8 3 when you started to see that, but yeah, a long way down, certainly.
2: Yeah, yeah he was well, he and he looked out of it, but the it was really steamy there. And he got you'll remember he got to, he had to change his jacket because yeah. his, his his uh lame jacket, his um, white jacket was coming up. Uh, on target which obviously is disastrous so he changed the jacket and um well we all know what happened next and it was totally amazing to be able to not only commentate on a british winner but you know the first ever european title and it was a really exciting fight as well because of that you know change of jacket being coming from behind it it had all the elements that you you'd cry you know you cry out for i cry out for when i'm doing when i'm doing commentary now my second one was 2012. I mean, you know, it was awesome from start to finish. The nerves going out live on the BBC were sort of extinguished by the amount of work that I realized had to be done, having seen all these researchers <laughs> running around doing that. And and you know, my own excitement of seeing Olympic fencing for the first time live—I'd never been there. Right. And then there was this the that uh, I don't know whether you remember the Shin-A-Lam Brita one, I'm sure mm, you remember yeah. The, the, yeah. the the famous clock incident and uh, Heidemann and, and Shin. That was a huge challenge. Having I mean, to speak for well over an hour, with the Koreans sitting, you know, yeah. stressed, sobbing on, on the, on peace the Christ. Christ. yeah and just—and there was nothing to talk about. Mm-hmm. But it was it, the whole thing was it was a pleasure. And then I think most recently, uh, and hopefully you you had a chance to see it was Richard Cruz winning in uh, in Shanghai. Yeah, and you know we've watched him as fans of British fencers uh, for many years, and I've got to say he was just. Unbelievable that day. Yeah, he was absolutely uh, on fire.
0: Yeah, it was incredible. He
2: could, I reckon he could, he could have beaten anyone. I think what was put in front of him. There was no one that could beat him there. And everyone will go back and watch that gold medal match. But it was clear from the start that Ficconi Alessio Facconi from Italy was never going to win that. Richard was all over him from from the beginning, and Facconi just couldn't do anything. Yeah, so the, I mean,
1: I the, think the, the, I think Gavin's comment where when we when we talked about it in the podcast afterwards that. Uh, the fight was over inside the first twenty seconds. Richard was yeah. five nothing up, and Ficconi looked like he was having a thoroughly miserable time.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I saw him afterwards, and he just shook his head and he said, "There's nothing. There's nothing he could do against Richard. He was he was just the better man on the day." But the better match to watch for me uh, was the semi final with Richard and uh, another experienced fencer. The podcast favorite, yeah. Part. Yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. And he the it, this is a complete masterclass of men's foil fencing from two, you know, seasoned professionals. They both were both very very good in that fight and uh I, you know, that's that's fresh in my mind of course because it was only a few weeks ago, but uh, that was a real highlight to see Richard and the joy on Richard's face. You know, yeah. it's it's like he's it's like when he first, you know, first sort of started winning senior tournaments. He's just as delighted now as he was back then.
1: Uh, yeah, three, three great highlights. Yeah, well chosen. And well, let's face it, he had a lot to say there. He did. Actually, to be fair, what we're going to do is split his interview into two parts. Because in this one, in this part that we've done for this episode, we pretty much talked about commentary, his yeah, background in fencing. how he got into it. And how he how he got into mm-hmm. it, which was interesting, gives a much better insight into to what these guys mm-hmm. do when they're describing the action for us uh, and in part two I talked to Karim with his inside knowledge and you know as a man who watches probably even more fencing than I do on what his predictions were for the world championships so in our next episode when we're getting properly excited about going to leipzig I'll let you hear what uh, Karim thought were the the good places to put your money for a, a win in leipzig
0: so the interesting sort of thing that he's talk about there is how he got into commentary which seems to sort of chime sort of roughly with all the other sports in the world which is uh, you just sort of sitting there, and someone comes along and grabs you and says, "You there? You know about the sport? Talk about it until I go." Yeah, um, more or less accidental. Yes, yeah, so everybody seems to do that. That seems to be how they get into it. So, yeah, it was, it was quite good. And uh, the other interesting thing was how much preparation he, he says he now does.
1: Yeah, I was certainly, he seems to have been very impressed by the by the BBC commentators um, when he was commentating at the Olympics, who gave him a, a real insight in how thoroughly you should prepare for these yeah, sort of things. Exactly, I think that, I think
0: that does show. So, it, so it's quite interesting, and uh, as I say, we're gonna we're gonna tease a little bit and see we, we've broken the interview into two parts, yeah. and the second part will be next time around when when we will get get our sage hats on and see if we can predict uh, what's going to happen in the World Championships.
1: That's right, a quick gaze into the tea leaves and see who's who's going to come yeah. out with a uh, with
0: a pile of gold medals. And it's going to be interesting to see exactly where we all match and where we disagree. Yep, yeah. hopefully it will be anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it'll be a terrible podcast. Exactly. So uh, let's move on to the next the next subject we're going to talk about in this particular episode. Uh, and that's the umpteen zonal championships, which have just happened. Yeah. Well, actually only four zonal championships, but
1: 12 events in each one. So yeah, we're not so going to spend a whole lot of time uh, looking in depth at every
0: single event because we'd be here forever doing that. Exactly. And nobody wants to hear us talking about uh, who came you know, 23rd and you know, whichever zonal championship we want to talk about. But yeah. Let's start off with the, the African zonals. Well, okay. Well, actually talking about who finished 23rd would be extremely
1: difficult for the African zonals because the biggest entry in any of the events was in the Men's Epi
0: with 21 fencers. That's right. It's a very, very small entry. It is. And if we look at the numbers, it's somewhere between one third and a half are 999s.
1: Yeah, people with uh, no senior world ranking at all. I mean, the winners of the events generally were ranging from genuinely world-class fencers to very good international fencers, but there's not a lot of them, and you don't need to go far down the list of results to find fencers that you really don't
0: recognise at all. But, but, but let's be fair, it's understandable why this is the case, because one fencing is not big in Africa. Well, that's that, the main thing. Yeah, that's the main thing two, It's obviously the geographical locations are quite spread apart, and it's not easy to get necessarily from one place to another. True.
1: So we're not, we're not going to delve into the results greatly for, for no. the African zones, except to say that they were quite small. There were some good fencers there, but just not very many of them, sure.
0: So moving swiftly on. Pan Ams. The Pan Ams. Or as we like to call it, the, champi- the American Championships, because so, they've won everything. Uh, well, not
1: quite. They won four out of the six individual events and four out of the six team events. Okay. So the weapons where they didn't win, mm-hmm. uh, Women's
0: Sabre. But my surprise.
1: Yeah, quite a strong American Women's Sabre team. None of them medaled in the individuals. And it was Mexicans that finished first and second. So
0: the thing here is that the Americans haven't been firing on all cylinders through the entire season. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair comment actually. Uh, and they've really been missing Marion. Obviously, she's now pregnant, so she won't be competing very much now. And it just the team doesn't seem to be quite as polished as it has been in the past.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure quite why, but mm. yeah, it's been a. I think it's fair to say it, it's been a disappointing season for the American women's saber team. Mm. But um, you know, another another good showing by the by the Mexican women's sabers. Yeah, brilliant, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Oh, and the and the Mexicans won the team event as well. That's be, right, yeah. yeah. So.
0: Yeah, so it's quite interesting that the the in, in the men's epee was uh, Ruben Lamardo won that, and yeah. obviously he's a quality fence that's been around Absolutely, for a while yeah. now, and uh, interestingly, they, they took the team there as well. Yeah. So those are the two events where, so it's men's sabre, sorry, men's Epic and women's sabre were the two events where the Americans didn't manage to completely dominate it.
1: Yeah, certainly in the foil events, uh, I think it was an entirely American yeah. podium in the ind- individual and they dominated the, the, the men's sabre
0: um, all right, so these are all quality. The these yeah. are all high, high quality fences that they're yeah. showing there. So it's not that wasn't a surprise at all, but uh, it is interesting that the, the the gap for the next the next level is quite, still quite big. It seems in something of like men's foil and
1: yeah, there's something. There's no other country that has the same sort of strength across all the weapons that mm. the USA does. Obviously, yeah. uh, I mean you get Venezuela winning the individual and team in the men's epi, and Mexico winning individual and team in women's saber, mm-hmm. but. You know, neither of those countries are producing a whole lot in anything yeah. anything other than that specific weapon.
0: One small point actually that's just occurred to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think we saw any Cubans at the Pan Ams. Um Or were they lower down? And I just missed them.
1: Junior Vitor Rennick, our close fencer on the planet a few episodes mm-hmm. back, was there to defend his title but went out fifteen fourteen Ooh. to one of the Americans in the oh, last 16th. Right. Ah, idea. Okay. Uh, so that does seem make a big drop down the world rankings actually uh, comfortably inside outside the top sixteen now when they yeah. had been for a wee while.
0: I mean the problem the problem that the, the Cubans have there is that they, they clearly don't have enough money to do all the events they need to do to maintain the ranking. That's the issue. Yeah. So it's, so making a slip up once in a, in like the Pan Ams is a big blow to them, yeah. fortunately. I mean the
1: Pan Ams were held in, in Montreal mm-hmm. which is, is a long distance. way it's a long way from Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. So they I think they sent a, a team of a handful of fencers, Yeah. So it's a bit of a shame, I think. But It is, go. yeah. So that pretty much wraps up the Pan, Pan Ams, as you say, a, a day of celebration uh, or a week of celebration for the USA team largely <laughs> yeah, with
0: yeah. a few a few, developers. A few inter- yeah. And I went to, I think, potentially the most interesting results from uh, the zonals. off to Asia now. And w- where should we start? Let's start with the men's epi. Yeah. So, Gav, tell me, out of all the exciting
1: Koreans and Japanese fencers that we've been Enjoying producing amazing World World Cup and Grand Prix results all season. So, which one of them won?
0: It was actually a guy called uh, Ruslan Kurbanov of, of Kazakhstan. Of Course, it was. It's Epi, isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah. Epi. It's always going to be the last person that you expect. Yeah, Well, not
1: quite. That's a little harsh on him. He, he was ranked 50th in the world coming into the Asian Championships.
0: Yeah, and I've seen him fence before, and he's he's a decent fencer. So it's not. Yeah. It's not like this is some random result that's just happened for some reason. Uh, but he 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 really did do a good job. He he went through two top-quality Koreans to get there. It wasn't like you had an easy draw or anything yeah. like that. So, yeah, and our Japanese... Well, my Japanese fans, because so I'm the big fan here, um, they, they really didn't do very much at all, the Asians.
1: Well, they were they were closely bunched, so all of them went out in the last 16. Yeah, yeah. so who knows what's going on there. As, save, save themselves for Leipzig. I hope so. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love watching those guys. They're great.
1: So that, that was probably the big shock result from the, from the Asians. Yes, yeah, definitely. Other than that, it was... Mostly dominated by the big three countries: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, China, Korea, and 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 Japan. And Japan, sorry, yeah, yeah. But in the men's saber, did have a little moment where uh, our Iranian saber guys did did their thing.
1: Yeah, they did a silver and a bronze for the two of the Iranians.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, and the and and
1: neither of them Abidini as well.
0: No, that's true. It was. I oh, can't remember now, but... Uh, uh, yeah, well, we'd have to look it up again. But yeah, so it was a bit of a surprise result. Yeah, given given the strength of the Korean team. Mm-hmm, certainly. And, and uh, I think he beat a Korean to get in there. And obviously another Iranian got a bronze medal. And did the Iranian men's saber team not take a medal there as well? Uh, they took silver in the team. So there you go. Yeah. So that's another fantastic day out for them. They're obviously in the line. So we've got to hope that they, they get to do their thing in Leipzig, because I'm really keen to see them fence. Yeah. So I, let's hope the draw is kind to them. I get, expect.
1: We get a good run and we get a, exactly. a good chance to see them in action.
0: Yeah, because I'm quite looking forward to that. Cool. What about the men's foil? Ah,
1: uh, well, men's foil had uh, had a Korean winner, and the Koreans have had a, a relatively quiet season mm-hmm. in the in the sort of regular season yeah, of that's right yeah. But uh, Tejuha won won the men's foil, beating well now world number six or seven Kalong Chung of, of Hong Kong in the final.
0: Yeah, and Ha was great last year. Uh, yeah, he's I'm just
1: not been as good. He's a quality year. fencer, but yeah. so this result actually takes him back into the top sixteen, I think, of oh. the world rankings. Because you know, with a big, big points boost that winning a zoneal champion mm-hmm. gives, championships gives you, I'll see him jump up a good, a good bits and uh, see him next to place for the world championships as well. It means he doesn't need to uh, mess around with doing
0: yeah. pools and preliminary teas. In, in with the peons, you know. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and what about the teams? Teams were well. Let me see. China won the women's foil, which is a, a sort of welcome return to form for them because yeah. they've been they've been pretty abysmal in the in the regular yeah, World Cup not season. Been, the
0: not, been, in fact, they've not been great at all. The Chinese meant well at all. Yeah,
1: I mean, they do have a couple of quality fences there, but they are still clearly missing Sheng Li, mm-hmm. uh, Olympic champion in twenty twelve, yeah. and Jianfei Fei Ma, yeah. uh, who's well, effectively retired by moving to the USA to study. <laughs> so that that rules them out for for uh, being solid. To be, to be him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else do we have? China won the Women's Sabre as well, Women's did Sabre they? team event, which right. I would okay, say is so a, a proper
0: surprise to get the Koreans. And where did the Japanese feature in that one? Bronze, I think. Bronze, I think, okay. What else, what else was there? Oh, Women's Foil, Korea took gold.
1: Yep. Jeon Kim, Korea won, won the Women's Sabre individual. Yep. No real surprise there. She's the, the sort of class act of mm-hmm. the, the Asian fences at Women's Sabre. Any other exciting bits to mention? Uh, another Korean winner in Women's Epi. Oh yes, that's
0: right. It was uh, Young Mi Kang. Young Mi
1: Kang, yeah, that's so right. Not not Alam, as you might have expected. Exactly. And beat the beat the inform Vivian Kong, who mm-hmm. finished uh, second at the at the last Grand Prix from Bogota.
0: But again, the Korean's very strong and epic, so you know it's not that unexpected. It's not Alam, but it's you know it's another Korean. So yeah, you know I- I'm happy. So yeah, so um, yeah, a good set of
1: team results for China, which is mm-hmm. which is encouraging. Yeah, because as we've mentioned a few times, it were. A little bit concerned about how China are yeah are are getting on, so showing a bit of a bit of their old dominance in the, in the Asian zone. we'll mm-hmm. see how that carries on into the World Championships. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting. Uh, obviously, a lot more quality teams in mm-hmm. there. Yeah, moving in the right direction based on Definitely. that. You're going to see. So, on to, well, for us as a biased <laughs> biased Brits, uh, uh, Us Europeans, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we are. I like to think of myself as being a European, certainly.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, me too. And so we, so obviously the big beast here. This is the one with all the entrance. And the the highest quality offenser across the board. Yes, yeah, yeah. I so, don't think anybody would argue with that. No, no. So, wh- wh- which event will we start with, Sean? Well, let's start with the the shock of the
1: first day. Okay. Now we thought that our Kazakhstani fencer, Mr. Kupanov, winning mm-hmm. from 50th in the world rankings in the Asian zonals, at Men's Epee was a surprise. Winner of the women's saber came into the the event ranked 202 in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you look at the strength of women's sabre in Europe, yeah. with the teams from France and Italy and Hungary and Germany and just quality, quality women's sabreurs all over the place, and it was won by Teodora Kakiani of uh, of Georgia, so a hometown winner. Well done, Teodora. I'm sure there was a massive party for you afterwards. Yeah, I would have thought there would be, because she'd only done a couple of senior events this season. And not produced anything terribly spectacular only I mean, the last sixty-four, in one of them, and mm-hmm. I think just missed making the second day, in the other one. So no, no great form, and her previous highest yeah. ranking, you know, she hadn't been inside the top hundred in the world rankings before this. But that sends her zooming up the world rankings, I think to twenty-eight, mm-hmm. with uh, you know forty-eight World Cup ranking points uh, for well, winning zonals. Yeah,
0: if you're going to do it, do it just before the World Championships, and yeah, and you preview, t- well, well, that's chances. the thing. I mean,
1: having having. One of the Europeans, the strength that it is. Yeah. Suddenly she goes in as a sort of live contender for the world championships. Yeah, which is a bit, so we we'll have to keep an eye on her uh, when we yeah, in Germany. Yeah. See if she can can back up this win with with more. I mean, maybe not you know, scooping the world championships, but let's be fair, another I mean, big result.
0: It's is actually in Georgia, so she has home team advantage. There must be a little element of that, but I'm not sure how much that really plays into.
1: I'm not convinced. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, I split, I mean, I, I did watch quite a few of the live feeds there, and mm-hmm. there was a a good sized crowd, but it's difficult to be sure. What that crowd's made up, whether yeah, it's a load th- of locals or whether
0: it's just all the other fencers that are are there competing yeah. and aren't in the finals. Georgia and Sweden is one of those countries which has a, a huge fencing population. I wouldn't have thought so. No, no. So anyway, anyway, great result. Let's move on from there.
1: Yeah. So after that, it was onto more familiar territory, I suppose. In the same way that Asia has its sort of big three countries, Europe does as well, yeah. really, uh, with France, Italy, and Russia. Yeah. And they they picked up. Well, they split. Split the six-team events uh, evenly between them. Mm-hmm. Italy won both the foil... Uh, no, sorry. Italy won uh, women's sabre teams and women's foil teams. Mm-hmm. France won women's epi teams and men's foil teams. Right, and okay. we'll talk about that a little more in a yeah. little bit. <laughs> um, and Russia won the men's epi teams, which mm-hmm. I think is a genuine surprise. Italy and France both went out in the quarterfinals.
0: Yeah, and, the, and France, France has been okay in the, in, the, in the men's epi team. And Italy, you know... Yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough, yeah.
1: But uh, yeah, a well a well timed good performance for Russia yeah. again in the round the World Championships, and they also won, won the men's saber team, which again on this season form would be considered a bit a bit of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, so individual winners again, uh, lots of lots of familiar names uh, yeah. from from the countries that you would expect. Yeah. Daniela Garozzo won the men's foil. Hooray! Ariana Errigo won women's foil.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Superstar so far. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, another one, Yannick Borel yeah. finally gets a win for the season, retaining his his European title. Good on him! But uh, you know, having had I think four four podium finishes, yeah, this he's season, always
0: he's always been, been close, just, but not not yeah. quite close. To, you know, and not finally, quite that. Yeah, finally, finally go over
1: the line at the, at the Europeans. So yeah, quite pleased with him. He fenced really well as well. Yeah, Boy, he's been fencing terrifically. So yeah, but uh, yeah, finally gets a, a nice shiny gold medal to to back that up. Max Hartung of Germany. Yeah, um, I was kind of rude about him when he won the last World Cup of the season in Men's Sabre. But he, he backs that up entirely by winning the Europeans and giving double Olympic champion Aaron Shalagi a right pasting in the final as well, 15-8.
0: So the, the thing I was going to say here was you don't have to be the, the world's most exciting fencer, you just have to be the world's most efficient fencer.
1: Again, Shalagi to some degree seems to bring out the best in him because there's more variety in his fencing. Right. It actually shows that Harton can cope with that. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's not put off by that, and it doesn't limit him to just doing what I people described as his game of being on guard, ready, fence, go, and and really not much more than that. Right. So he actually came up with quite a bit more than that. So it was quite an entertaining final and a, a, a well deserved win. Cool. So yeah, I'm I'm slightly slightly retracting my, <laughs> my initial assessment. <laughs>
0: Violeta Kolobova won the women's epi. Yep, another top name. It's yeah, fine. I think she'd be ranked.
1: Top five,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, didn't win which is a no, took a bronze though Yeah, so she was there. Uh, she was up there in the middle field, but she just didn't win it. Yep, but so close, but close, close. Yeah, no, no sort of disastrous so loss of form or an of right. et cetera, anything like that. I just still looks really, really happy to be there, which is yeah,
1: amazing. It is. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I do get. It. Yeah, I mean, she does genuinely give the impression that she's thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah,
0: why not? Business <laughs> this is, this is like in the piece, but yeah. as soon as it's over, yeah, this, this is fun. Yeah, and the room kind of lights up with her as well. It's quite interesting. Yeah, You get some fences who, let's put it this way, they bring a cloud to the proceedings. But, but <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> uh,
1: are you going to name names here? Or are you oh, just, no, just, just leaving that out, out there? We're just
0: going to have that hanging. Uh, I'd be interested know if anybody can think of who I'm talking about, but there are a few out there. Yeah, we'll get we'll get nominations, I'm yeah. sure. World, world's, world's saddest fencer. Anyway. The world's most miserable fencer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so when we get to the, the the main event, the thing that we're all dying to talk about here, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's the men's foil team final, and it's uh, France versus Russia. Yeah, and our man, our man of the podcast, Erwin Lippitchu, does it again, carries the podcast entire the French foil team to victory. Yeah, it was a
1: genuinely amazing performance. I mean, he's he's done it so many times. I just I find it incredible because French team are pretty decent. Yeah. The other two that started in the final against Russia, Russia, who are, let's be fair, Olympic champions, yes, were Enzo Goffart, mm-hmm. very good fencer, ranked in the top sixteen in the world, been even higher at one point. I think he was up to second or third at one point. Yeah, that's right. Medalled at world championships, been on the podium at least once this season, mm-hmm. and Julie Mertin. Competent defence are a little bit lower ranked, his yeah. results are a bit a bit patchier. And sitting on the bench they had the, the bronze medalist in the individual event. Yeah. Uh Jeremy Caddo. So it's a it's a decent team. Yeah. But they so rarely actually all fence well. It hard very rarely looks like a complete team performance. And most often what happens when France win is that everyone goes absolutely mental and scores about a million hits.
0: And that's exactly what he did.
1: Yeah. Russia seemed uh, well, first fight, Pesha goes on against a relatively new Russian team member, uh, Timur Arslanov, and wins 5-3. Well, yeah. that's a good start. Next t- time he comes on, France are miles down. So he gives a good battering to Dmitry Zerubchenko, beats him 9-3 in that like Let's
0: face it, Zerubchenko is a quality fencer. So. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly. So he, he edges France into lead again. Yeah. So he comes on for the final fight, and France are once again 5 hits down, yeah. and he's got to fence Timur Safin. I look yeah. like the bronze medalist and one of the one of the, the three, stars. three form fencers. Yeah. Uh, number three in the world, and he's got a five hit deficit. Yeah. Not faced by that at all. Nope. Wins a match. Forty five, forty-three, yeah. a positive indicator yeah. for Mr. LePeshou. Plus fifteen. Scored twenty-four you hits. He got and them. only conceded nine.
0: You know, I've got to ask Owen this question if we get a chance and say does he does he take them aside afterwards and say Come on, guys. <laughs> I can't do this all the time. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, I've, I'm sure I've said this before, and apologies if I'm, I'm repeating my same old gag. I'm sure Lepeche used to be six feet tall, but all <laughs> these years of carrying the French team around means yeah. that he's now down to a, a much slighter five foot seven.
0: But let's face it, he looked amazing yeah, in that film. That was incredible. Face. It was absolutely incredible. And... The, 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 he's left-handed as well, so I'm slightly biased. But he was getting away with some nice cheeky left-handed hits. Yeah, I was. It was just. Am- I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, and he looked. He, he was just. He was there. It was. A, he was there for business. He wasn't there for anything else. He was there for business. And, and the thing uh, was, he
1: never. He never looked in any doubt about it as well. No, there was no kind of caution as well. Oh, five hits down. Yeah, that's yeah. fine.
0: In fact, I, th- I think at one point uh, got a hit given against him, and literally shrugged. Yeah, and we're, we're back, back on online. From, oh, right, fair enough. Proper <laughs> Gallic shrug. Yeah, off. <laughs> So well done, Erwin. We uh, I loved it. I loved every second of watching that. Yeah, brilliant performance. So
1: yeah, that was that was my highlight, certainly of, of the Zonal Championships from yeah. from all of them.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. A br- and if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's, yeah, it's, I,
1: um, we're, we're not going to put up links. We'll put sort of general page links for all the video action from the, yeah. the Zonals that we can find. But I will put up a separate link just for that match because it's well worth it's watching. Well, worth it's incredible. It. Yeah, incredible man.
0: And that's it. That's us.
1: That's us. So yeah, flying roundup of the of the zonals. First bit of chat for from Karim. Yep. With more to follow in the next episode mm-hmm. when we'll be giving our predictions. We yeah, casting the talking stones. about what we're yeah. what we're looking forward to. of uh, sorting hat seeing, on Harry Potter. Seeing <laughs> seeing and doing in Leipzig, which is now not very far away no, at all. Three it. three weeks.
0: About three that. weeks till it starts. Yeah, three weeks till it starts. Yeah, yeah, the day of recording. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. So until then. Oh, uh, oh yes no hang on there's more this, there is more better tell people how to speak to us indeed uh, so we'd like to hear from you so uh, you can always contact us via twitter where we're just fencing podcast uh, you can email us at the at gmail.com and obviously we have a facebook page at the fencing podcast yep oh and we're on instagram as well as the fencing fencing podcast. podcast yeah uh, i have noticed that we've not heard from anybody who's willing to tell us their stories about how they, you know. About oh, cheating. cheated the way to victory in Epi. Not cheated, but just uh, kept your mouth shut yeah, when you got an <laughs> extra made, point.
1: Made the most of any freebies that were going. Yeah, because
0: they're pretty rare. But so, so, your silence is telling, guys. You can make it anonymous. We will not tell on you, but I'd love to hear your stories.
1: Yep. We may even absolve you of your guilt and say, no, that's okay. <laughs> we might not, though. We might
0: just name you in public and say, oh, look, well, this guy did. Yeah. It's a gamble, though. It's a gamble. So, uh, anyway, well, thanks very much. That's us. We'll, uh, catch you soon. Yep. Bye. Oh, <laughs>